from Rumble to Slam, Royal and Summer respectively that is, this is Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast, the comprehensive guide to all things wrestling when we can be asked to record. <laughs> this is good sports and entertainment. Welcome to episode 29, I'm your host Duncan Joyce, the doctor among men, I'm joined once again by the hardest working Triple H marking show business, Mr. Kyle Cambry. Hello. It's good to be back, finally. We're doing a podcast. Yay! <laughs> oh, God. It's been mental these past few months. Uh-huh. Because it's Summer Slam! Excitement galore! <laughs> these past few months have just been crazy with holidays and acting, work and all sorts. So it's good to finally just chill out, relax, get a podcast Hi. going, watching some wrestling and getting back to normal. Since we've been away for quite a while... One thing of note in wrestling that you've enjoyed and one thing that's happened in your own life since you've been away. Okay. One thing you'd note in wrestling is getting Heyman and Bischoff back to predominant roles in WWE. I feel we're starting to see that positive change. There's definitely been a big impact on Raw and you can definitely see where the Heyman ideas are within Raw. The first episode of Raw after the Heyman announcement, Lashley and Strowman go straight through the stage. You know, that just oozes out the Heymans all over that. Smackdown maybe not not so much, it's still kind of in transition. They'd said that Bischoff will take full control when it goes to Fox. But you can start to see a slight change, you know, like the, the dynamics moving a little bit. Until Vince rewrites it at the 13th hour. Yeah, and then half an hour before they get the proper script. It's <laughs> just say. insane. So I think that's like the big thing for me because I think before that it was starting to get stale and quite same-ish. So that's the big talking point wrestling-wise. General life? I'd probably say just the fact that I've been able to get away, get on holiday, see a bit of Europe. Went around the Greek islands, which was really nice. Cool. We went to Kefalonia, Mykonos, Athens, Santorini, and then we stopped at Dubrovnik on the way back. Um, got to see like quite a lot of the Game of Thrones places in Dubrovnik, and then back home. So that was quite nice, nice to relax, sort of. There was a lot of walking and that, so quite tired when I got back, but I enjoyed it. It was good. Awesome. How about you? Well, in life in general, I got so much positive feedback from my tutoring that I got a raise. Oh, fantastic. This is always nice. Yeah. Wrestling, been getting back out into watching wrestling live. Oh, brilliant. I've been to see three shows since we last recorded. Yeah. Went down to London for the second Wrestle Queendom show. That was awesome. Lots of the women in stardom there. Viper and Kaylee Ray's last show for Wrestling for Eve in the main event. Really cool. I also saw Sendai Girls' first ever show overseas yeah, yeah. in Manchester. Again, brilliant. Mako Satomura against Tony Storm headlining. And also big thanks to a friend of the podcast, Gareth, and his mate Tom, who slipped me a quick ticket to see Progress oh, when they had one going spare. The last Manchester date, and uh, that was headlined by Ilya Dragunov versus Volta. I love that match. Brilliant. It's cracking. We, I think we should bring up the announcement of Jim Smallman. He's leaving progress it's, after yeah. so long, concentrating on NXT UK. I just think, like, 
even though I've seen a minimal amount of live shows, you know, I've been able to go back and watch quite a lot of progress. And the idea of, you know, how progress started and how many indie wrestlers in general, not just UK, but, you know, how many people that they got in progress and, and how many lives they've kind of changed with their pushes and then they, they're moving on to various bigger promotions is just insane. Mm-hmm. We wish Jim all the best in, in NXT UK and progress will, will continue to, to do amazing as it does. Yeah, good luck to him. There's going to be a real dynamic change, yeah. especially live as well, like without him emceeing. Yeah. That gives the show a really different feel. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have to see how that goes. Mm. So yeah, it's SummerSlam season. I wanted to go back in time and look at my favourite SummerSlam in the lead up to SummerSlam 2019. So we're going all the way back to SummerSlam 2002 on August the 25th, 2002 from the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Uniondale, New York. 14,797 fans in attendance and 520,000 pay-per-view buys for people watching at home. Some perspective here. So that's only... 45,000 buys down from the previous year's SummerSlam. Mm. Just to compare it to some of the other then big five pay-per-views. The Royal Rumble in 2002 was up by 45,000 buys. Don't know why. WrestleMania was down 200,000 buys. King of the Ring was down 125,000 buys. And it will be gone next year. Yeah. Probably for that reason. And the Survivor Series was down 110,000 buys. So it's not feeling the drop quite as much as some of these other big shows. Yeah. Probably because I think Brock versus Rock was a really big draw. Yeah. We'll go into some of the little devices that they used for that. Yeah. Holy crap, I was ecstatic when I saw the runtime for this show. Two hours and forty-two <laughs> minutes. We'll fly through this. <laughs> I just love how it's a super show because of what is on the card, not yeah. how long it runs. Yeah. I think we should get into a little bit of some historical context. Okay. So on March 23rd, 2001, the World Wrestling Federation purchased WCW, and from that point on, they've always been looking to try and figure out how they can compete with themselves. Around March 2002, then World Wrestling Federation co-owner Ric Flair was in a storyline rivalry with The Undertaker and a whole bunch of incidents surrounding that, including Ric Flair punching a fan. Yeah. Fan, in quotations. (laughs) Saw the board look to make a review of the ownership situation. Their conclusion was to do the first ever WWF draft. Flair would own Raw and Vince McMahon would own SmackDown. Things would all change really quickly when on June 10th, after Austin took his ball, and went home. (laughs) Vince beat Flair to regain sole ownership of what was now World Wrestling Entertainment. And this led to Vince seeking more ruthless aggression. On the Raw and Smackdown before Vengeance 2002, Vince named general managers for both brands to handle both shows on his behalf. Smackdown was a shot of redemption for billion-dollar princess Stephanie McMahon, Whereas Raw's GM... His name is Eric Bischoff! 
this created some really chaotic TV with people jumping and defecting between rosters left, right and centre. And we're slap bang in the middle of this. We'll get into some of the ones individually as they happen yeah. as we go through the matches, but holy shit, for me, this is right slap bang in the middle of the most transformative year in the WWF slash WWE. Yeah, I think this is kind of moving on from the Attitude area. This is kind of the next big left turn, if you will. And I think the one of the, the big thing was the Bischoff announcement. You know, everyone was... Like going ape shit about you know having Bischoff being raw general manager, but I think it worked, and I think it it works definitely in a positive way. Mm, I feel like it's injected some life yeah. into this show in particular. But I'm just gonna run through some of the shit that's already happened yeah. halfway through the year. So in January, you had a whole metric ton of people from the invasion just randomly getting their jobs back so they can fill up the Royal Rumble. Yeah. February, the NWO debuted, and they would be gone by the night before Vengeance. Yeah. So they've already fizzled out, the, been and gone. The poison. Yeah. <laughs> In March, Hogan turned face, returned to being you know, the red and yellow. Brock Lesnar debuted. We have a brand split. Raw's got a brand new look. There's a new World Wrestling Federation title belt. Yeah. Eddie Guerrero's back. Yeah. In May, that's when they rebranded from WWF to WWE. Yeah. And Kurt Angle's gone bald. Yeah. <laughs> June, Austin walks out. Benoit returns from neck surgery. Lesnar wins a King of the Ring, so he's already due a title shot. Yeah. Months after debuting. And then in July, you got the general managers coming in. All these defections week after week. And SmackDown is constantly getting its look tweaked. So they go from black ropes to silver ropes and black skirts to silver skirts and different lighting on the rampway, random screens turning up and the refs have their own uniforms. (laughs) The kind of likeness between then and now is that we've kind of had our brand split now and it's gone to like 2002 WWF, WWE. Nobody has a brand at the moment. No. You You just go wherever you want. Fucking wild cards. Yes. <laughs> it was a really good time back then. The Lesnar debut with Heyman was just insane. I still stand by the fact his debut, we'd never seen anything like that. Like this just jacked guy annihilating everyone. Mm. It was just, it was insane week after week. I've always been a huge Hardy fan, but you know, the, it was. I remember Matt and Jeff trying to take him out, you know, with chairs and stuff, and he just broke them both in half, and I was just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> we'll get to it when we get to the Brock and Rock match, but it, it's it's strange to see how Brock was back then, where he was fully focused on wrestling and doing what he needed to do for the team, to how he is now. Mm. It's definitely like a, a power shift. No messing about here. There's no opening video just straight to the show graphics and into the pyro Michael Cole informs us that the show sold out in 90 minutes good effort yeah <laughs> about that it's weird at the start Cole has to explain that he's going to be commenting with Taz on the Smackdown matches and JR and King are going to be doing the Raw matches yeah 
But this is actually only the second show that they've had both announced teams on the show. Yeah. And back at Vengeance, they just had it where Cole and Taz called the first half and JR and King called the second half. So yeah. I guess they did have like a little bit to explain. King and JR have their own little King of the Hill <laughs> yeah. area. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was kayfabe explained to be. Oh, Eric Bischoff's in charge. He put the commentators there when (laughs) Nitro was a thing. You're going to go back there now. Oh, fuck yes. Look what the opening match is. It's Kurt Angle versus Rey Mysterio. Rey debuted on the July 25th episode of SmackDown. Sans the junior, thanks to the blessing from his uncle, the original Rey Mysterio. Yeah. And with his mask back on, which confused the fuck out of me. <laughs> he pinned Kurt Angle in a six-man tag team match on August the 8th. And on the SmackDown before SummerSlam, he cost Kurt Angle a match against Kidman. <laughs> Who's that jumping out the sky? <laughs> From the apron behind Kurt's back, it's Rey Mysterio. And he hits a springboard head scissors, which Cole calls... Into a hurricane runner! And then he hits a regular head scissors, which Cole calls the leg scissors. He monkey flips Kurt out of a corner, gets to the ropes when Angle Jackknife rolls into an ankle lock, somersaults out of being dragged to the middle of the ring, and nearly hits a 619, but gets yanked right out of a ring by Kurt. Fucking hell, this pays to start. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. That that was my first thing. As soon as the match started, it was just like, boom, straight in. No no pissing about. Yeah. No. Kurt, understandably, needs a breather. And then Ray tries to do a wheelbarrow bulldog, but Kurt hauls him up into a German suplex in one fell swoop to audible gasps from the crowd. This is Kurt mostly control the match, and he blocks a head scissors with a sidewalk slam that Michael Cole calls a backbreaker. There's let's go angle, angle sucks, dueling chance, but Cole only acknowledges the latter. Yeah, I noticed that. Odd. (laughs) Nowadays it'd be like, oh, it's the free spirit in New York. (laughs) They're going crazy. Kurt hits a beautiful belly to belly, throwing Ray in one fell swoop immediately after he hits the ropes. He gets the straps down, but Ray arm drags out of the angle slam and sends Kurt to the outside. The ref stops Ray from diving onto Kurt and then conveniently gets between the top and the second ropes to have a chat with Kurt, allowing Ray to springboard over the top of him with a tope con hilo to a huge reaction and holy shit chance. Absolutely insane, that. But I just felt the referee wasn't doing a referee sort of thing. I know, yeah. It was like, it was really odd. We got a hell of a move out of it, but I was like... It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you kind of see these spots sometimes when a wrestler is outside the ring, the referee holds back, okay, you behave yeah. now, you stay in the <laughs> ring. And then when the referee turns around to start counting out the other guy, yeah. <laughs> they <laughs> roll out of the ring and sneak out to get him. But yeah, stopping Ray midway through his momentum. Yeah, it was a bit odd. Mm. Yeah. He then comes back in the ring with a massive drop of a dime leg drop for a two count. And the fans are really biting on that. Ray lands perfectly on Kurt's shoulders from a springboard, but gets put in the ankle lock. Ray kicks him off, setting Kurt up for the 619, and the West Coast pop, but he only gets a two count. Ray heads up top. Angle tries his rope run superplex, but Ray had already somersaulted off. Returns to try a top rope Hurricane Rana, but then Angle stands his ground and hooks in the ankle lock and gets a submission. 
after nine minutes and 20 seconds of electric wrestling. Mm. It was a hell of a, hell of a first match. The one thing that I noticed, I don't know why it took me so long to notice this, the entrance ramp was on the right. Mm-hmm. But I only noticed that halfway through, once Ray had done the flip, and then the camera, the hard camera came back, and I was like, what, wait a minute. <laughs> like, it really just knocked me off, off focus. So that was quite cool that, you know, they changed that a little bit. The match was brilliant. Lots of reversals that you would generally see in, a, in an angled match anyway. Very technical. Showing, you know, both competitors how how well they work. Giving each other time to show off their own stuff. You know, Ray got to do quite a lot of his stuff. Angle doing his stuff. Yeah, and once I'd watched this, the, the day after, WWE tweeted about what people's favourite opening SummerSlam matches were. Mm. And this was one of them. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I like that one. That one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, incredible, incredible opening match. One of my favourite opening matches of all time, mm. let alone at SummerSlam. I've, you hit most of it there, really. They both got their styles over. It was really cleanly wrestled. It played off some of Ray's past rivalries while still innovating as well. All within such a tight time frame. And it left the crowd so pumped for this show. Yeah, It reminded me a lot of Ray's matches with Dean Malenko. Yeah. And that was who he first worked with when he came into WCW. So much as Malenko helped familiarise the WCW audience with Ray, here's Kurt and he's really done a stellar job of familiarising WWE's pay-per-view audience yeah. with Ray. Yeah, fantastic. I can't say enough superlatives about this match. Mm. Backstage, we see Stephanie telling a production guy with a broken wrist that <laughs> that's what our SmackDown is all about. Tell Bischoff to top that. What I don't understand, right, and this is a running theme throughout all the backstage segments, everyone's clothes are too big. <laughs> I was like the production guy and Stephanie was talking so I was like what the hell what are you wearing <laughs> everything just seemed really baggy I don't, I don't the know fashion icons yeah. Kyle they're, they're pre-empting evolution oh, okay. in their suits that have three sizes too big yeah okay oh it turns out she can tell Eric herself because he's in her office which turns out to be the only general manager's office so they share and they settle down to watch the show from a much less awkward angle than people watch yeah. the TV nowadays. <laughs> Jerry Lawler then welcomes us to the raw portion of SmackDown. And JR has to correct him. There's a SummerSlam. <laughs> that leads us into our second match of the day. It's Chris Jericho taking on Nature Boy Ric Flair. I told our mate Seb that I was, at the time, that I was really excited for this match and he just laughed at me. (laughs) Jericho had only recently defected to Raw earlier in the month and we see clips of him from last Monday getting his head put in a trash can by Ric Flair and then going backstage to attack and bust open Flair only for Nate to get revenge by ruining Fozzie's performance on Raw by yeah. wrecking all of her instruments. That's my bad. That's my bad. <laughs> this is quite a precipitous fall for Jericho. Mm. Undisputed champion at the start of the year. Yeah. Not wrestling at Backlash. Losing in the King of the Ring in June. Losing to John Cena in July. Yeah. I suppose it's, it's quite popular 
nowadays of having having a big fall but I, I suppose back then you know it was unheard of with like the the fall that Jericho had yeah it, it is strange but I suppose anyone getting to work with with Ric Flair at that time you know considering the legend status that he has I suppose he you can't be too beat up about it mm. however everyone knows my views on Ric Flair so <laughs> <laughs> this is his first time wrestling at SummerSlam Wow, that's surprising. Because yeah. That, yeah. when when he was first with the WWF at SummerSlam 92, he wasn't wrestling, he was just stirring the shit between Macho Man and Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. There's some pretty sloppy wrestling to begin with. And then Flair lights Y2J up with knife eggs chops. Yeah. Then he tries to shit can into the outside, but Jericho skins the cat back in immediately to get chopped again. Flair flubs his bump over the top into the corner. And JR tells us Jericho was two years old when Rick made his professional debut. Wow. Jericho sledges Flair's throat into the exposed barricade, just like Macho Man did to Ricky Steamboat. Yeah. He then uses a ruse where he exposed the turnbuckle so he could choke Flair with his wrist tape. Guess what Ric Flair does to take control again, Kyle? What manoeuvre does Flair do all the time? The, what, the, the slaps? A knife egg shop, yeah, exactly! Yeah. I, I was like, really, when you were saying that, I was like, a slaps? It's gotta be slaps. <laughs> Pretty funny role reversal here, as it's Ric Flair that cuts Jericho off on the top rope and presses him off. Yeah. Flair then hits a somersault Liger kick, Springborg 450 splash, and a Spanish fly suplex to keep control. Just kidding, it's more <laughs> knife edge chops. There's a really heavy edit where Jericho tries for the walls of Jericho from countering a suplex, but he gets cradled for a two count. Yeah. The lion salt missed, and Ric Flair tries the walls of Jericho, but Jericho hooks on the figure four leg lock. It was always a popular thing back then, wasn't it, that wrestlers do each other's moves. Mm. After a while, Flair gets to the ropes and immediately taps out. Idiot Jericho then thinks he's won the match, and his arm really crappily flails into the ref, (laughs) causing a shit ref bump that allows Flair to get a low blow and hook on the figure four for the tap out victory. After 10 minutes and 22 seconds. Two submission wins in a row. Yeah. It was a very shit ref bump. Yeah, <laughs> terrible. Very. Typical flare win. The hand on the rope, tap, and then the low blow, and figure four. Yeah, it was much slower, The like how it started. It didn't seem to connect as well, like you said. Mm. It was a very technical match, but couldn't compare to the, to the opening match. It just felt like it was... I don't know, like there was something missing mm. throughout it. It's night and day, really. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate some of the old school callbacks and the little role reversal that they had, but there was nothing really all that memorable from this. No. no. One of the only matches that I didn't really care for on this show. Yeah. We then get an advert for the Hook Still Rules DVD compilation, and we see Heyman and Lesnar react to it, with Heyman remarking, oh, it's just like when a musician dies and they release a best of... <laughs> He tells Brock to murder Rock's title reign. You're the next big thing! I forgot all about that. Yeah. In the only way that Heyman can, you know. Brilliant. 
Match number three sees Eddie Guerrero taking on Edge. Now, Eddie had only just defected to SmackDown along with his running mate Chris Benoit on August the 1st, and that's what kickstarted this feud. Quite often in the run up to this show, you'd have Edge team up with The Rock against Eddie and Benoit. Yeah. Racist Taz says that Edge needs to get Eddie's Latin temper going. <laughs> Uh, we get some really nice switches at the start of this, followed by a dodgy flapjack by Edge, who ties Eddie up in the ropes and spears him. Yeah. But then he goes to the well a second time, and it's dodged, and Edge hurts his shoulder, falling out to the floor. Mm. This immediately becomes Eddie's focus of a match, hitting a top rope divorce call arm breaker for a two count. Edge has to snap man out of a crossface chicken wing, but then immediately gets put into a Fujiwara armbar. Eddie hits a great back suplex and hangs on with a top wrist lock to maintain control. Edge replies with a power slam, and Cole does a great job here talking about how he skewed it so that he used more of his non-injured arm to get control. Holy shit, he then suplexes Eddie to the outside, negating the good work from the previous move by using lots of his injured arm. Hmm. (laughs) It then hits a crossbody to the outside, and a sit-down super godbuster for a two-count. Eddie dropkicks Edge right on the injured shoulder to count of a spear. Picture-perfect <laughs> aim, oh my god. Yeah. But the froggy splash eats the knees, and Edge hits for execution, but it only gets two. A second is countered with a Northern Light suplex, a netbreaker, and the froggy splash to the injured shoulder. Yeah. That only gets two. Finally, a rope run Hurricane Rana is countered with a spear. Edge's injured shoulder is hurt, but oh, it's the finish, so he still gets the win. <laughs> After 11 minutes and 50 seconds. It was a decent match. The turnbuckle jump from Edge, that was brutal. It was as though Eddie had been hit by a bus. He like slid across the floor. Once <laughs> hit. That was brutal. One thing that I did notice during the match was... Eddie had a lot of spots all up his back, mm-hmm. which we know what that's the cause of. And also Edge did all over his shoulders. Oh. Mm. But yeah, it was a nice match. It wasn't good or bad. Hmm. I like this match. I just thought it was let down by Edge's shoulder magically recovering yeah. whenever he needed to do a move. Yeah. Eddie was great. They go on to do much better than this. Their no DQ match from SmackDown. Yeah. After Unforgiven. Magnificent. Yeah. We're about a third of the way through the show, so it's first trimester question time. So, Brock's had this massive, big push okay. on this show. Yeah. What's your favourite, like, out of nowhere title reign? Alright, it's not my favourite, but it's the one that really riled me up. Go on. So I'll go that way instead. Seamus. Oh yeah. When he first came in, and I was just like, oh my fuck's sake. <laughs> and then all the shit about he was Triple H's training partner, so then that's why he got this big boost. And I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. The usual stuff that comes out about Triple H. And then the tables match, that finish, where Cena goes to the table. Was it a slip? Was it not? And then. Sheamus is now the champion and I'm like, what is going on? This is ridiculous. He's had multiple reigns as, as a champion. I 
still to this day don't feel that he's a WWE champion material. Intercontinental US, yes, 100%. I just don't think that he was ever that top tier. So that's that's mine. It's not my favourite, but it's one that which riled me up. Mm. My favourite's one that technically didn't happen. Oh, okay. It's Chris Jericho, April 2000, when he just randomly beat Triple H for yeah. the WWF title, yeah. and they undid it that same night through blackmailing Hebner. Yeah, yeah. That's that insane to me. Like I remember watching Heat that week, and like Chris Jericho is the WWF yeah. champion. Like, oh my god! <laughs> yeah. And that's only like eight months after he debuted. Yeah, stuff like that seems bonkers to me. Especially like I suppose Jinder Mahal is another one. I know that he was in like the three man band and stuff, but he disappeared for a while, mm. and then came back and became WWE champion. And just and now look at him, you know. He's disappeared. Yeah. It just it seems bonkers. Like, at what point do they think we'll run with this guy and then we'll just throw him in the trash? It just, you know, at least Sheamus has had a, a good career out of it, you know. Because mm-hmm. he, he could have easily ended up the way that Jinder did, of, you know, all right, we've had enough of that now, then off you go. Mm-hmm. At least he's made something, you know. The thing with the bar, that, that worked well. Yeah. But yeah, just, just bonkers. Backstage, Jonathan Coachman interviews the Un-Americans. Test, Christian and Lance Storm. What a pointless group they were. <laughs> <sighs> they say they'll expose Booker T and Goldust for the American shams that they are. It's a shame that they have to do it in front of these lazy, unresponsive Long Islanders, though. Cheap heel pop. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I'm not sure it's not quite as lazy as this heel yeah. heat that you're going for here. <laughs> this is our fourth match of the evening for the WWE Tag Team Championships. The Un Americans, the team of Christian and Lance Storm, defending against Booker T and Goldust. So the Un Americans formed back in June based on Lance Storm's claims of anti Canadian bias in WWE. They defected to Raw on July 29th, taking the tag team titles with them. How crazy is that looking back? Yeah. The tag titles were only on a single brand. That was crazy. Even crazier is the idea that Lance Storm thinks that WWE is anti-Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> and to get a storyline out of it is even worse. However, I would snap my fingers to have those tag belts back yeah because <laughs> these belts at the moment are ridiculous the Greek warrior things mm. oh, horrible yeah they'd rectify it in the autumn yeah. later on in a completely and utterly confusing manner Stephanie McMahon's on October is like we're going to debut a brand new championship here on Smackdown the WWE Tag Team Championships! <laughs> Aren't they on Raw? Yeah, Alright, cool. <laughs> oh, no, 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 they're the World Tag Team Championships now. Oh. Fuck's sake! <laughs> Booker T and Goldust started being paired together pretty much as soon as they got drafted in April. They did a little joint movie review of the Scorpion King. Yeah. They only really bonded properly as a tag team after Booker got kicked out of the NWO. These two were absolute gold together. Mm. Like, literally, just amazing. I would have never, ever partnered Booker T and Goldust together 
and they just rolled with it. They were brilliant. Any other haphazard tag teams that you really took to? Well, I mean, I mean the, the most famous one, Rock and Mankind. Yeah. You would never have put them two together and they would just, they were gold together. Mick Foley with anyone is gold together. I quite liked Edge and Randy Orton. Mm-hmm. I thought that they, they worked really well together. And that was a good kind of out of nowhere <laughs> tag team. Any that you can think of? I've got a real soft spot for Santino and Vladimir Kozlov. <laughs> Brilliant. <Yeah. laughs> this gives us a little tea time se- segment yeah. that they have with Seamus <laughs> when they were in Britain. <laughs> yeah. More recently as well, Heath Slater and Rhino. Yeah. I love the, I've got kids, I need this job. Sorry. Like, yeah. It's just really good. Booker T's pyro seems to blow a hole in one of the lighting rigs. Yeah. Above the stage. <laughs> JR calls the US flag being hung upside down the universal sign of distress. Because, you no, know, if yeah. America is yeah. distressed, yeah. obviously the universe is distressed. Yeah. You know. Goldust hits a jumping arse attack on Christian early on <laughs> and a cool power slam on Storm but takes a nasty bump getting thrown over the top rope. Goldust then gets a great jackknife roll-up after dodging a drop kick, and hits a desperation bossman slam. Christian cuts the ring in half with a front face lock, and of course, Storm distracts the referee just as Booker T gets the tag, so it doesn't count officially. The armpit of Goldust's outfit gets ripped open after they do a stereo clothesline. Yeah. Storm. Like, oh, it's, it's Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> there was one time, I remember he said in an interview with WWE magazine, what's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you? And Goldust said, uh, one time the crotch of my outfit <laughs> ripped open. <laughs> Storm pulls Booker T off the apron to prevent the tag again. But the concerto behind the ref's back misses, and Booker T eventually gets a hot tag. Christian dodges a scissors kick and tries the unprettier, but it's countered with a flapjack. And Storm accidentally leg lariats the referee. Yeah. And there's a ref bump for you. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit, no fear on Nick Patrick there. Double scissors kick to the champions by Booker T. Spinner Runei! The Harlem sidekick! But the referee's still down. So Tess runs in and kicks Booker T's head off with a big boot. Did you see when Tess was escaping through the crowd, this pregnant lady took a swipe at him? (laughs) No, (laughs) Gutsy. (laughs) Gutsiest pregnant lady in WWE since 24-7 champion Maria Kanellis. Anyway, that gets the Un-Americans the win to retain their championships after 9 minutes and 37 seconds. Just your standard tag team match, wasn't it? There were a few gripes with it. Concerto for me, leave it alone. That's Edge and Christian. Not Lance Stone Christian. <laughs> Please don't do that. This is the good Booker T. I was going to ask you this. Is this more like the WCW Booker this, T? Yes, we got last this time? is the Booker T that I like. Yeah. Not the shitty Booker T that we ended up with. I don't know what happened. This is the Booker T that I like. All kinds of moves. You just want to watch him. He's got that sort of aura, like he did in WCW, mm. that you just felt, oh, I, I, I want to watch this guy. I don't, I don't know what happened, and I don't know at what point things changed. I kind of 
pinpoint it at King Booker round that area. Mm. Other than that, yeah, it was just your usual tag team match. The heel win, you know, having the mate come down, helping out is, your, you know, just your typical typical way. Mm. No reference to Test and Booker T formally being tag team champions. No, no. <laughs> I, just... I guess it's just that forgettable. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, it didn't exactly blow us out of the water. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised at how unremarkable the champions were as a team. Yeah. They just seemed to do very generic heel things. Yeah. I thought they would have had a bit more to them with like, how great they are as wrestlers. Yeah. G- given credit for getting the crowd absolutely gagging for Booker T to tag in the match. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed this, and it was mostly because of how fun Booker T and Goldust were as a team. Yeah. Over in the world, in Times Square, there's a contest to make out with Nidia. Oh my, this was the most embarrassing segment ever. King asks JR, how many times did you enter that? Be honest. And JR's like, a couple. Even back then, JR horny on main. What the fuck? <laughs> no, so I tell you the weirdest thing is I was watching this and Steph, she was just sorting tea out and she came past to tell me tea was ready and that bit was on and she's like, I thought he's watching wrestling. <laughs> I was like, I am, I don't know what this is. <laughs> out of force of habit, after I got done watching this show, I was watching Unforgiven the next month. Yeah. And Kathy came back from work just as the HLA (laughs) segment was coming on. Oh, shit. Yeah, Yeah, I just, for some reason, I felt like I was defending myself. (laughs) I am, I am, this is just... uh, (laughs) Eric and Stephanie look on, and it's at this point that I realise, what the fuck is going on with Steph's fake tan? I know. (laughs) I'm going to nick a segment from our friends at the Rory's Nitro podcast here. Dick move of the night as Eric Bischoff says he likes Nidia because she really knows her place in this business. Ow. Fuck right <laughs> off! Yeah. Ooh. Steph says women belong on top like her. Mm. <laughs> Neither rate each other's chances in the Intercontinental title match. Coming up next. It's match number five, an interpromotional match for the Intercontinental Championship. The champion, Chris Benoit, representing SmackDown, facing Rob Van Dam, representing Raw. Did you notice when Benoit came out, the logo on the belt was blurred out? It's still the old WWF scratch logo. I didn't notice that. Yeah. <laughs> like, why is it being blurred out? You don't need to blur things anymore. But we're oh, wildlife owner wow. okay now. Wow. No, I didn't notice that. <laughs> so lazy as well. Yeah. You didn't make a new belt yet. No, no. Uh, There's a huge reaction from Rob Van Dam when he does his thumbs yeah. pose. Yeah. Only JR and King call this match, despite it being interpromotional. Nowadays, you'd have a mix of people. Yeah, I suppose back back then, well, I suppose Raw's always been the superior brand, but whenever it's been a title match and a Raw competitor has been involved... It's always generically gone to raw commentators for some mm. reason. Yeah. So Van Damme had been dominating the intercontinental title scene 
since he first won the title at WrestleMania X8, but he lost it to Benoit on July the 29th. And Benoit then immediately defected to SmackDown. But he was still required to defend against a Raw superstar at this pay-per-view, and Van Damme beat Jeff Hardy to become number one contender on August the 12th. Some super stiff kicks by RVD yeah. to start off. He feels like he's really kind of upping his game and his intensity to try and match Benoit. Benoit eventually turns one into a dragon screw, but then there's an ace escape out of a corner by Van Damme, who lures him all the way over to the opposite corner for a springboard crossbody. Benoit does great for a stretch here, rolling away from a clothesline, ducking a spin kick and folding Van Damme up like an accordion with a German suplex. We get a big monkey flip by Van Damme, but Benoit levels him with a lariat just as he was celebrating. They're getting across here really well, the intensity of Benoit. Van Damme does an offensive move and Benoit's still the one to get up first. The split-legged moonsault eats the knees and then... Benoit tries the diving headbutt, but it misses, as does the five-star frog splash. We then get the crossface, but Van Damme gets the ropes, only for Benoit to throw Van Damme all the way over to the barricade from the top rope to injure Rob's shoulder some more. A dickhead fan in the front row yells, Walk it off! Come on! (laughs) You walk it off, (laughs) prick! (laughs) And there's a cool spot where Van Damme's standing moonsault is countered into the crossface. Benoit then rolls through Rob's roll-up counter and RVD's getting worked over so hard his ponytail comes out. <laughs> Literally the yeah. only match I've seen this happening. Yeah. He turned into Evolution Triple H for a bit. No! <laughs> <laughs> Appropriate considering what happens next month. No. <laughs> you can spit some serious water, dude. Some really nice hammerlock Northern Light suplexes by Benoit. He hangs on each time and then applies the crossface again. He counters Van Damme's attempt to reach the rope into a hammerlock dragon sleeper, but then Van Damme hooks his own version of the crossface in. Everybody's copying each other tonight. He couldn't hold onto it for long, but he then hits a series of kicks, the rolling thunder, and turns a back superplex into a crossbody in in mid-air, which allows him to hit the five-star frog splash to get the win and win his third Intercontinental Championship after 16 minutes and 30 seconds. Mm, I enjoyed this match. Again, lots of technical moves. We know how Benoit works, so it's nice to see Rob Van Damme kind of getting involved with all that. There was one thing that I noticed that JR said which really confused me. He said that Van Damme is a right-handed athlete. I don't think that it matters whether you're right-handed or left-handed for you to do a frog splash or a jump from out of the ring because that's when he said it. If he was saying it, you know, during him doing something technical, then fine, I understand that. Right, I think the point he's making is Benoit's attacking his left shoulder. Right. And the theory is... He doesn't use his left side of his body as much. So yeah. naturally, his right side of his body is going to be stronger. Yeah. And so it'll be easier for Benoit to work over uh, the left side. Telling a story. Yeah. And the other thing that I like, and not a lot of people do this, well, in general, whenever someone's going to do something off the top rope, you always find the person that's on the mat moves 
to where they need to be. Yeah. However, Rob Van Dam's five-star frog splash, he moved in midair to land how yeah, he needed to. Yeah. If he wanted the match to be realistic and he wanted the finish to be how it should be, why don't they do that more often? Mm-hmm. Leave the guy on the mat and you, as the competitor on the turnbuckle, you adjust yourself It'd look better for me anyway because I feel like you're having to adjust in the the match and not awkwardly see the guy in the match shuffle <laughs> to yeah. where he needs to be. So I, I liked that. I liked that finish. I thought it was nice. Mm, yeah. Really love this match. This is tremendous. Lots of neat touches. Benoit was just so relentless working over the shoulder. It was terrific. Yeah. And he used some really atypical holds to yeah. keep control of this match. It was really engaging. Van Damme Morven held his own with his hope spots and it was this styles clash but it meshed really well and it had this intensity. Yeah. Thinking about this and the fact it was happening in August as well, it kind of feels like a G1 match yeah. does in New Japan nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, loved it. Another thing that I noticed with Benoit, which was really strange, is whenever he'd finished a move and he got up, he got up like... Everything moved at once. He was that stiff. It was re- like really weird. Mm. It's like one of Lee's action figures. Like he just like nothing moved. He's from head to like torso was just the same. <laughs> like whenever he got up, it was just really weird to see. But I, I suppose at that time Benoit was so jacked, wasn't he? That just moving his body, everything moved at the same time. Yeah, combination of two things here for me. One, his build up, yeah. as you mentioned. It's kind of like maybe it's technically too built for the proportions of his actual body. Yeah. And two, he's you know two months back from wrestling from neck fusion surgery. Yeah. That you know literally fused together two of his discs in his spine. So still adjusting to how yeah. you know he has to move around and stuff. And he continues to do the diamond headbutt. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? <laughs> oh well. Bischoff gloats backstage and fluffs some of his lines, but Stephanie laughs him off when he suggested, Oh, I suggest you watch Raw to see the Intercontinental Champion from now on. This kind of foreshadows her deal with the Undisputed Champion that will come the next night. Yeah. We then get a video package for the Un-Americans ahead of... Test taking on The Undertaker. Lots of, you don't like America, you can just get out stuff. So weird. I think this is really our first time covering Test here. Did you really see anything in him? Did you see any kind of potential in him? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's ruined that spot. Good night, folks. <laughs> no, I suppose when he, he first came in, there was... There was this thing around him of being a top athlete and the issue was him going out with Stephanie and all that sort of stuff that kind of just knocked him for six, you know. Not necessarily saying that that was the, the reason of of him maybe not getting to the potential that he had, but I think that that kind of that added to it. But I, I think when he first came in, you know, he, he was kind of... He was put into some, you know, biggish matches, and he kind of reminded me of a big cast, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know, Vince has always liked his big guys, 
and you know I, I could have seen him kind of progress in that way but yeah I think there was potential for him I just think that script wise and, and character wise you know maybe not so much you know mm. he, he did well with TNA but I suppose again how, how far can you go with TNA I suppose yeah. it's so weird that they were never the tag champions yeah it's how stacked the field was back then yeah. yeah they were a really awesome team I thought he did some really cool things for a big guy two moments where they didn't really go that far with him in 2001 like his face push at the start of the year yeah just kind of fizzled out for no reason and when he won the immunity battle royal to keep his guaranteed to yeah, keep yeah. his job for a whole year he's still within that first year and they're just not doing anything with it anymore they just gave up before the draft was even a thing yeah it was really disappointing yeah I suppose it's one of one of those what if questions isn't it like we see a lot today, if someone maybe got injured, was test that person that they have written down of, you know, we, we push push him. Because we've seen that a lot in the past few years where we've read, you know, someone's got injured, so they've pushed someone else, and who knows. Naturally, the un-Americans would go after the American badass. Yeah. That's pretty much the, the crux of this feud here. This is cementing a face turn for The Undertaker right after he'd shown some respect to Jeff Hardy and John Cena and a few other yeah. people lower down the card. So it's our sixth match of the evening. Test taking on The Undertaker. JR guarantees that all the kids from Tough Enough Free are cheering on The Undertaker tonight. So I presume they're all American. <laughs> Be a bit awkward if there are any Canadians <laughs> in there, you know? <laughs> Fucking hell, here we go. JR cites, The Undertaker is an individual, and by living in this country, has the opportunity to express himself in that way. Unless you have any anti-American sentiment, that is. Well, yeah, but also, I didn't realise that a mystical figure could have a residence in the US. You know, I, th- I thought he just turned up if and when, wherever he wanted, and, you know... I. He had to yep. die somewhere. <laughs> well, okay, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> this came up in the New Generation era. Yeah. Um, Lex Luger was recruiting a team to face Ludwig Borger, I think it was. And The Undertaker sort of came out as American by having a, the American flag inside his uh, overcoat. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Okay, so he's American, fine. <laughs> Fucking leapfrog early by The Undertaker yeah. and then the flying clothesline that causes JR to exclaim, Hello, LaGuardia! <laughs> Test count was old school by shoving the ref into the ropes, which causes King to quit. No respect for the old school values of The Undertaker there. Yeah. He then controls with clotheslines and a random rest hold on Undertaker's arm. Keeping my eye on the Undertaker's bandana in this match because it refuses to come off. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of impressive. He comes back with a big suplex, the running DDT, old school, and snake eyes, and then he slips out of Test's pump handle to goozle him. Test escapes, but then the big boot gets ducked and Taker hits a choke slam for a near fall. Storm and Christian try to interfere, but they both get choke slammed. Only for Test to hit the big boot. And the Undertaker still kicks out. And still has his bandana on. <laughs> Tess shrugs the ref off after fetching a chair. But he gets kicked back in his, in his face. Allowing Taker 
to get the tombstone for the win after 8 minutes and 18 seconds. The winner of that match is the bandana. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like when, uh, you remember when Scotty Too Hot, he would wrestle yeah. and he'd have his lid on. Yeah. <laughs> and King would always say at the start of the match, Okay, Jr. Scotty told me at the start of this match, he's going to try to keep his lid on for all the match. <laughs> and then like two minutes later, yeah. it come off. It was a good match. I'd probably say it was one of Undertaker's maybe weakest matches, just because it was your usual... You know, face versus heel, friends come out, very short match. There wasn't anything special, which is a shame really for Undertaker matches because you, you, there's normally a little bit more, but I just, I, I suppose it was kind of your, your filler just to get rid of the Un-Americans. Right, yeah, exactly. That's the, the big problem with this match. You just don't buy Test as a threat here. No. It's passable. I was, I was fine with it. Yeah. But I'm not going to go out on my way to watch again, I don't think. No. Well, it'll probably only take five minutes to watch it. <laughs> okay, we've got our, our main events left for this show, so let's dial it back because it's going to get really intense. We're going to go into sign watch. Okay. Any signs in the crowd? There was a Shawn Michaels one that I saw. I've got three letters for you. HBK. Okay, cool. So that which is cool. Yeah. There was a Brock one which was quite cool and someone had done like the back tattoo. Yeah. And then it had like the Rock's eyebrow on it. But like <laughs> it was really cool how they'd done it. Nice. Um, they, were, they were the only two that I caught my eye. Well, one here said, the fire still burns. Mm-hmm. Which is the thing they did for the vignettes for Kane's comeback. Yeah. Again, another thing about how crazy this year is, Kane comes back and he's got a different mask. Yeah. It's not a sign, but there was a dude in mutton chops and a flaming like Hawaiian shirt yeah. <laughs> against the hard camera. Stiffy 316. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Are you sure this wasn't one of your signs here, Kyle? <laughs> Triple H, you are that damn sexy. Quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Who is that man and where is he? <laughs> Jesus has risen and his name is Brock Lesnar. Fucking hell. Can you imagine Brock Lesnar at that time with Jesus' face? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Pork. Just pork. Okay, just pork. <laughs> I thought there was a little bit more to that. No. Just pork. Okay. <laughs> I am an edge head sign and they cut a hole in the sign so they could put their actual head through it. That's good. <laughs> oh, a ret- brief return here for TNW. Oh, what Latino Heat has smelly feet. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Gold Dust is my favourite Spice Girl. Cute. Sporty. Yeah. Scary. Ginger. <laughs> Pervert. <laughs> Test is a goon. Well, I suppose he's going that way, isn't he? So. A goon. Hi, goons. Hi, goons. Funaki is God. Everybody loves Funaki. Oh, amazing. Absolutely. Get the Steph out. 
Okay. A playoff of a rebranding campaign. Get the F out. Yeah. Mike Kyoda fan club. Aww. That one dude yeah. in the slide is apparently the Mike Kyoda fan club. <laughs> There's also a sign pleading, bring back the Piper. Yeah. Give it a few months. Yeah. WrestleMania 19. Yeah. And then, strangest one, Rikishi eats turtles. Could it be a Hawaiian delicacy? <laughs> That's a weird one. That is a very weird yeah. one. <laughs> so the hype goes into absolute overdrive for Raw's main event of the evening. JR points out this is going to be Shawn Michaels' first match in 1,609 days. Yeah, when I heard that, it was very specific. It's like he's been keeping yeah. count. <laughs> Crossing on the calendar. <laughs> 1,608 yeah. days since our last Shawn Michaels match. King says there's some fans who probably hadn't seen him wrestle at this point. That's me. That's me. The video package focuses on Triple H and Shawn Michaels' friendship, mainly 1997 DX. Yeah. It appeared that Shawn's friendship was going to coax Triple H over to Raw. And indeed, Triple H did defect over to Raw. Yeah. He was supposed to join the NWO, but when that got retconned, Bischoff said, There was one guy who, if I signed for WCW, could have turned the whole landscape of the Monday Night War back in my favour. Triple H, I'm going to sign you to Monday Night Raw. He would have changed the landscape. Of course. <laughs> Terrorising! <laughs> <laughs> I am no longer a boy. I am Jean-Paul Levesque. So it looked like there was a DX reunion on the cards. But it was short-lived and Hunter turned on Michaels. Triple H said that he used Sean to get to the top, just like Sean used him to stay there. Sean then got put headfirst through a window of a car, and for some reason, Triple H feigned concern and led an investigation into it, even though it was blatantly him. Yeah, I can't believe how graphic that looked. It was insane. Mm. I, he looked like he was dead. <laughs> Eric Bischoff won't sanction this match on account of Sean's medical history. Officially, it'll never happen. But it will happen, Eric. Then that leads us into the theme song for the show, which I bloody loved. Yeah, the vignette for this is actually incredible. Yeah, I'm going to splice it in. Yeah, it's just great. So good. John Michaels and Triple H are our best of friends, are closer than a lot of brothers. Triple H, my friend, is that a lie or is that the truth? and Triple H, they're, they're closer than a lot of brothers. Tonight, the game brings you his best friend, Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels and Triple H are our best of friends. That friendship is really what swayed Triple H. That's what brought him here to Raw. Let's get ready to suck it. 
ran his head right through the side of that car window. The only thing I know for sure is that the guy jumped me from behind. John, I swear to you, and I swear in front of all these people, I'm going to find out who did this to you. Find out who did this? That person is a marked man. It was you, Hunter. You're damn right it was me, Sean. I was trying to prove a point, that you are weak. You are vulnerable. I recognize that I'm not in the best of shape right now. Doctors have told me that I'll make a full recovery. They say I'll be 100%. 100% by, say, uh, SummerSlam. I'm not going to sanction your match at SummerSlam. Officially, your match will never happen. But it will happen, Eric. I will fight till there's nothing left. Till my legs are gone. What were your thoughts on Shawn Michaels coming back? He only just missed him. Yeah, I did. Like when I first started watching, he was kind of just on his way out. The first pay per view that I watched was when Shawn gifted Triple H the European belt um. when he'd lie down and you know let Triple H pin him, and he you know he was just on his way out. So this was exciting for me because there was this whole aura around Sean that we were getting the Shawn Michaels back and not the Sean that I'd seen which was the kind of broken down I'm ready to go sort of you know Shawn Michaels so I was really looking forward to this there was obviously we knew about the back injuries and we knew about you know he might not be be perfect but I'll go into a little more about that after the match because more information came out obviously about this match once the DX documentary came out mm. and the Triple H documentary we'd learnt more information so we'll go into a little bit of that afterwards but yeah I was I was really excited because I got to see who this Shawn Michaels guy was because for me just missing him and seeing this nearly retired Shawn Michaels as mm. we thought anyway yeah yeah. honestly I was sceptical yeah not for his health or something, but just a simple reason that you know I was really into Jeff Hardy and all that kind of stuff yeah. like with, with the ladder match and like I don't know if, uh, have we really moved kind of beyond Shawn Michaels style of wrestling? Yeah. You know what, what does he have left to contribute? You know, mm. and this was around the time loads of people were coming back, and I was just like we. Maybe slow down on the comebacks. Yeah. So I was I was skeptical going in. Yeah. I suppose I, we're we're like that now. Yeah. You know, the the comebacks that we're getting at the moment is just ridiculous. So yeah, I sort of see where you're coming from. Yeah, and I would have the exact opposite view going out of this. Yeah. <laughs> so our seventh match of the evening, as Howard Finkel put it, non-sanctioned. See Shawn Michaels taking on Triple H. Michaels gets an immense reaction when he comes out, and he's wearing a Philippians four thirteen shirt. I looked up what verse that is from the Bible. It says, "I can do all this through He who gives me strength." Oh, that's nice. Mm. 
Loads of confetti and pyro as JR really seriously gives him the hard sell. Going through his athleticism and his accomplishments, but he prays that this isn't a mistake. Yeah. Triple H has just shaved his beard off, and I cannot overemphasize how much I hate clean shaved Triple H. Yeah, see, I have to agree with this. It doesn't look right. Mm. He needs a little bit of gruff. <laughs> I I didn't want to boo Triple H at, at the time going yeah. into this. I didn't want him to be a bad guy. I was still like, he's just come back from his quad injury yeah. and stuff. And then he came out with without a beard like, boo this yeah. man! <laughs> you fucker. <laughs> King tells us, there's two things to dislike about Triple H, and that's his face. Okay. Yeah, true. <laughs> Triple H doesn't do his water spit pose. Presumably because he doesn't want to turn his back on Shawn Michaels. Shawn kind of lazy boys in the corner and beckons Triple H in and then throws his shirt at Triple H and the fight is on. Michaels is moving really very well early on here. Leapfrogging and sidestepping Triple H. hits a springboard plancher and he skins the cat to get back in the ring to clothesline him down. He tries to end it really early with switching music. But Hunter ducks and hits a backbreaker and Sean sells like death. The second one is similarly received. And then we get a huge Irish whip into the corner that brings Sean to his knees. And Triple H crotch chops him right in his face. There's then a massive chair shot to the back. And at this point you can really feel the crowd's hearts in their mouths any time there's a spot around Shawn Michaels back yeah a DDT on the chair busts Shawn open and then after searching high and low eventually Triple H finds his sledgehammer he's had to like really kind of ruffle up the, the yeah. ring apron and stuff where the fuck is it <laughs> yeah cursing the, the props guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> the <fuck> <laughs> Big HBK chances Michaels brawls back, but then another huge Irish whip allows Triple H to hook on the abdominal stretch. JR pleads with Sean just to give up, and Triple H grabs the ropes while retaining the hold, which sends Earl Hebner into a frenzy. <laughs> Knock it off! I'm sick of it! The chair! The hammer! <laughs> Knock it off! Backbreaker onto an erect chair sees Triple H cover Michaels over and over again, but he still kicks out. When Triple H tries a pedigree on the chair, Sean punches him in the dick and then super kicks the chair back in his face, meaning it's Triple H's time to bleed. Flying forearm by Shawn Michaels, who nips up and the crowd go fucking banana. You'd think he'd just walked on water going off Jim Ross's reaction. Big chair shot to the head. He hits Triple H in the head with Hugo Savinovich's shoe on the outside. Yeah. And the, there's a hell of a clonk as well. <laughs> King quips, that's a heel for a heel, isn't it? Yeah. Bulldog onto the steps is followed by a catapult into a ladder. Triple H then baseball slides the ladder back into Sean's face. Yeah. Like the most anti-Triple H move you could possibly imagine. But Sean fights back with a superplex, a brilliant crucifix into a sunset flip, and then a drop toe hold into the steps. He sets Hunter up on a table outside by hitting him with a fire extinguisher, and then goes up top 
indicates that he's crazy and splashes Triple H through the table. Yeah. Then back inside, he hits the elbow drop from the top of the ladder. He pops up like a man possessed. Goes to switch in music again, but it's blocked. Triple H tries the pedigree, and Michael's jackknifes out of it. And he gets the freak out! Holy fuck! Shawn Michaels wins! Shawn kisses Earl on the head and gets his hand raised. And then, oh you fucking bastard! Triple H drives a sledgehammer right into Shawn Michaels' back from behind. He looks Shawn square in the eye and with Shawn on his knees takes one big swing and hits him right between the shoulders with the hammer. Triple H crotch chops Shawn again and makes his exit. JR is livid. Triple H is going to rot in hell for what he did tonight. <laughs> When Triple H is openly laughing as he's walking down the ramp, JR just goes ballistic. Do you have no conscience? Does he have no heart? Do you have no soul? You son of a bitch! Do you realise what you've just done? <laughs> Michaels is stretched out of the match and gets a standing ovation. Technically the winner after 27 minutes and 50 seconds. <sighs> wow. My sentiments exactly. Yeah, I mean, the first time watching that was incredible, but because I've seen that match so many times that I just, it's one of those matches that I can just watch and watch and watch and watch and not get bored at all, you know. It's just incredible. Like I've said in previous podcasts, like the, the whole telling a story, you know, Sean comes straight out the traps, but because he's not wrestled for so long, we get the switch over of Triple H then taking over and then the back and forth between the two. The whole idea that Triple H is always going to go for the back because that's obviously the weak point. Just literally beginning to end telling a story. It was it was amazing. And the thing that we've we found out now since back then, finding out with the interviews with Triple H and with Sean and that this was Triple H's idea, bringing Sean back and saying, "Look, I'll protect you during the match, and I'll, you know, I'll do all this and do." And then going back and watching it again, you can see where those things happen. You know, the backbreakers aren't actually on his back. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're just off center. You know, Triple H does a tremendous job of keeping everything all contained. 
the splash off the top onto the table. Triple H catches him, and then you can see that they have a little chat while they've got their heads down. And so, as much as this this match is amazing, knowing all that just sends it up into like absolute stardom of, of a match for me you know it's it is an incredible match this is the match that made me a believer in Shawn Michaels yeah like I say going into this not got a clue what he wrestles like going out of this match there it's right there there's the magic of Shawn Michaels yeah. holy fuck it's yeah one of my all time favourite matches it's incredible after four years away how Michaels could come back with this near as damn it perfect performance. Yeah. His selling, and then you have the commentary bringing up the back injury all the time. It was just brilliant. I never bought into an injury as much as I did yeah. with this ever again. Every blow just felt like a death knell. And so by the time he made his comeback, you couldn't fail to root for him. This just absolutely knocked it out of the park. He felt such sympathy for Sean and... Triple H, like I said, going into this, I didn't want to boo Triple H. Yeah. Coming out of this, I thought he was a no-good rat bastard. Mm. And Jim Ross, his outrage is just so genuine and heartfelt. I really miss this from wrestling, mm. feeling something genuine like this. It's just incredible. I loved it that Sean was dressed for a fight because this is a non-sanctioned match and Triple H was dressed to wrestle like it's another day at the office. Yeah. And how did Shawn Michaels win this unsanctioned fight? With a wrestling hold. Yeah. And he beat the wrestler at his own game. And that sent Triple H off into a frenzy of re-injure Shawn. Yeah. And, you know, from his standpoint, this doesn't phase Triple H. And we all know going through the coming months that, that followed, it didn't phase Triple H. Yeah. Because it's non-sanctioned. It's not an official match. It's not in the record books. And... He got what he wanted anyway. Yeah. Michaels is seemingly in a wheelchair. And yeah, this is just magic. Yeah. And I think it really helped to put Shawn Michaels back on the map for people who necessarily didn't know who Shawn Michaels was. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm yeah. living proof of that. Yeah. When it comes around to Shawn actually retiring eight years down the road, it felt like there was a, like a, a light went off for me. Yeah. Like, wrestling didn't feel quite the same in me. Yeah. He made that big impression on me. And, yeah, yeah that eight-year post-back injury spell, just marvellous. I'll defend it to the hills. It's quite it's quite strange, really, because you, would, you could technically say that Shawn Michaels had two careers. Yeah. His first was building WWF, if you will, and then, secondly, was coming in and showing that he still got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone talks about all the Dave Meltzer five-star scale, which has been completely ruined subsequently or whatever, but this is as close to a a perfect match as you can get. Like It was one of the very few matches I'd give a perfect score to. Yeah. Do you have any praise for my boy? Absolutely. (laughs) Let's face it, this is a year that Triple H isn't in absolutely top form yeah. here because he's still figuring out how to work again with this new body mass of his but he was absolutely perfect here the like yeah. places he cut off and get the momentum back and control the match yeah, yeah definitely and I just think this was as well a good point for 
me to stop defending him as much because I think as soon as it came to light of that it, this was all Triple H's idea, the way he's protecting Sean, I think that people saw Triple H in a different light mm-hmm. than the kind of guy who's who's married into the WWE. You know, this kind of shone a light on them both. Sean, in a wrestling sense of, you know, boom, you've got another eight years now of showing everyone what you want to do. And then trips for his his mind and how he works and, you know, this idea of protection and stuff and that kind of shone a light on him in a very good way. So, I, you know, it's fantastic for both of them. Mm-hmm. This next bit was bullshit with Fink. What mm. the hell? Yeah. There's a really <laughs> jarring transition. As Howard Finkel randomly informs us, it's his first show at Nassau Coliseum since WrestleMania 2. Cheers, mate. Big fucking whoop! <laughs> yeah. For some reason, Trish Stratus comes out. JR quips, Trish stealing Howard's spotlight. Somebody's already stolen his hair. <laughs> it's really weird hearing Howard Finkel being full on misogynist in his announcer voice. Yeah. Hold on, honey! <laughs> Apparently, Trish has slapped him and pushed him into mud prior to this show. Yeah. But she claims she's realised how sexy his voice is and she has a surprise for him. Fink makes things awkward by bringing up. His wiener. But before they can go beyond just a hug, Lillian Garcia is here. She's a surprise. Yeah. She slaps him one and kicks him square in the nuts. Okay? It felt weird. Yeah. After that match, we get that. It's just like, what? what's going on? I mean, there's cool down time and then there's my hallucinating time. Yeah. I suppose you, you can't think of any other way to get an audience from... Being like, to like, what? Where am I? (laughs) Maybe Flair and Jericho could wrestle again. (laughs) Alright, it's main event time. Brock Lesnar debuted in March, right after WrestleMania X8, and went on an absolute tear. He beat the shit out of everyone, he kicked out of everyone's finishes, absolutely devastated the undercard. And then later on, legends like Ric Flair and they keep building up and up and up. He's yet to be pinned or submitted at this point in time. And he won the King of the Ring in June to earn this title opportunity. On the August 8th episode of Smackdown, he beat Hulk Hogan by making him bleed internally with a bear hug. And he mentioned it in this promo. The blood of Hulkamania is on my hands. Have you seen the outtakes for that line? No. When Smackdown would still be broadcast over satellite, sometimes people could hack the satellite boxes to get like production footage from earlier on. And one of them was trying to get Brock to say this line correctly. And he keeps on fucking it up over and over again. It's like, the blood of me is now on you. <laughs> oh, and you word. hear you can hear Steph and Vince trying to like age him oh, oh, the blood of Hulkamania oh my word <laughs> I suppose there's been a wrestler and there's been a performer and it's trying to get them two together there's a reason Paul Heyman's his mouthpiece yeah, yeah. 
The Rock had returned from promoting his film The Scorpion King in June and was immediately back in the title picture, winning the title at Vengeance. The video package then shows really, really cool clips of both men training for this match. And that was a big part of what made this match such a huge draw. Like, they treated it like a really serious athletic contest. Yeah. Loads of intrigue over Brock and the way he'd been built up as well. And, yeah, it's just fascinating for me. What was your favourite thing from the training that these guys had done? I think it's more the from the rock side that he came about saying, I'm not the biggest guy, but I'm going to put 100% into it and I'm going to be quicker. Mm. And, you know, all that sort of stuff. That sort of thing coming from The Rock kind of makes you think, in the back of his mind, he's worried. Like, especially from, from him saying that, because he's he's basically saying, look, this guy is going to throw me everywhere, so I've just got to be quicker. Yeah. Which is very similar to today. You know, as soon as Brock's got over of you, it's game over. Mm-hmm. So I kind of liked that, that they made The Rock out to be the one that was worried. Yeah. I suppose with Brock being the, the newbie, he, he's got nothing to lose. So. Mm. I think my favourite thing from both sides, so Rock, he was doing these spots where he was like having to leap up to the, the, the podiums jumping, yeah. and gradually get there. And Brock's ice bath is just insane to me. Yeah. It looked like a huge toilet, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yes, yes. <laughs> it was around this time, it seems like The Rock is about to transcend wrestling. He's just had his first hit movie. Yeah. Was there any resentment on your part from for that? No. I was the same, yeah. And I still, to this day, don't understand John Cena's argument when they had that feud. Mm-hmm. I still, to this day, think that that's a bullshit excuse to try and get some sort of rivalry going. For me, as a wrestling fan, it's incredible to see them in the wrestling medium. However, if they are well-known and they are able to do other opportunities let them do the other opportunities. As long as they don't have a belt, because that's another thing for me, that's what pisses me off with Brock. As long as they don't have a belt and they're away for six months or whatever, and then they come back, fine. That's not an issue to me. It's when they disappear for six months with a belt, i.e. Brock Lesnar, um, that frustrates the hell out of me. But for me go off and film and do whatever you want and then come back, that's fine, you know, they can write you out a storyline, they can do this, they can do that. So for me it wasn't it wasn't an issue. My my concern that for me was that this was kind of the end for the rock. Mm. For him going filming it was just for me this was like, right, we're probably not gonna see much of the rock. This is upsetting. That was my kind of take on it yeah we're going to see elements of this in the match but I really don't get the negative reaction for Rock here at that point in time yeah I hope a lot of those people who were like Rock you suck when you're going off and leaving us and stuff in hindsight realise you know what was to come 
Rock at this stage, while he's a champion, he's working off house shows, he's wrestling on Raw and SmackDown every single show. Mm. He is there to be the wrestler still. He's coming back and doing this. He didn't really have to come back once he had a hit film. He totally fucked off then. Yeah. But he's come back here to, spoilers, put over this new guy. Yeah. Fast forward, what was it, like 10 years later, yeah. when The Rock's the champion again... He's just the champion to be a figurehead, you yeah. know? He's not wrestling on all of the shows in between his title defences. He's barely showing up. He's still arguably a little bit ashamed of WWE. Like, you do media appearances and he won't bring the title belt. What the hell? Yeah. And I think, as well, they sort of use his new movie star status, don't they, by turning him heel and having him come out as very much celebrity. The Hollywood rock run. Oh my God, he's just so brilliant. Yeah. So, you know, I I don't have any bad things to say about about that. No, but at the time, I'm just a fan of like, the rock's still awesome. It's awesome that he's wrestling here. Yeah. So it's our main event for the WWE Undisputed Championship. The Rock is the champion defending against Brock Lesnar, accompanied by Paul Heyman. Really cool opening to this match. Rock lays the belt on the rampway like a line in the sand, and then he starts hopping like Brock Lesnar, and then he sprints to the ring to start the match. Yeah. Right hands by The Rock, but he's immediately belly-to-belly suplexed by Brock. It wasn't clear when the entrances were happening, but it seems like there's at least half of the crowd that have this anti-rock sentiment. Yeah. And there's big Rocky Sucks chance. Yeah, huge. Brock is targeting The Rock's ribs because they were injured the previous Monday on Raw by UBH and his sledgehammer. And Heyman keeps getting his cheap shots in as well. There's even one point, the ref kind of seems to catch him tripping Rocky up. And yeah, it's the first one. The ref's actually looking at him when he does it. He doesn't give a shit, no. does he? <laughs> All right, okay. The big power slam by Brock, but then he posts himself and gets back suplexed, and the referee starts counting both men down. And at the count of five, both men nip up. Yeah. You can see Brock was kind of itching to get it done. <laughs> Is it time? Is it time? Do you think he can do that now? Hmm... I wonder if he's got the same core strength after his diverticulitis surgeries, yeah. Yeah, you don't really think of that. No. Because he stands his ground a lot more nowadays, so... Because, like, similar to Sean, I feel like they're two separate competitors. Yeah, it's easy to forget how well-rounded he was as an athlete back then. It takes Rock three attempts to get Brock knocked down with a clothesline, and then he locks on the sharpshooter. He seems really perturbed by the Let's Go Lesnar chants in the crowd. Yeah. He looks so riled, it's fucking great. He breaks the hold to stop Heyman distracting the referee, and Brock has to save Paul from getting rock-bottomed. Then he hits the rock in the ribs with a chair that Heyman snuck in, and locks on the bear hug, the dreaded bear hug that injured Hulk Hogan. So bloody scared of this yeah. at the time, because I hadn't seen all that much of the TV going into this. I'm like, where's Hogan gone? So when you brought the tape over for me yeah. and it said in the in the intro, the blood of Hulkamania, like, oh no, what's happened to yeah. Hogan? And yeah. 
Oh, that looks bad. Yeah. Rock refuses to pass out, and his supporters in the crowd are getting a lot more vocal. Heyman again distracts the ref, but Rock uses it to his advantage and punches Lesnar in the nuts. He explodes out of a corner with a clothesline and sends Brock over the top rope. Rock catches Heyman's next sneak attack yeah. and then Paul exclaims, Oh shit! <laughs> he sends Lesnar flying into the ring post with a catapult. Holy crap. Yeah. And then Rock bottoms Heyman through the Spanish announce table. That was always tradition back then, wasn't it? The Spanish <laughs> announce table is gone. Every <laughs> Gone. <laughs> Always looking for some kind of twist on the yeah. right bottom through the table. Yeah. My favourite one was Royal Rumble 2002, I think. Jericho was about to rock bottom rock through one table, but the rock counted yeah. and rock bottomed him through the neighbouring table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other ones were always, they'd be on one table and then they'd run and they'd flip them onto the other table. <laughs> yeah. That was always another one. Rock bottom to Lesnar back in the ring. It only gets a two count. And you can actually see Rock speaking to himself. What do I have to do? Yeah. That's great. Rock bottom by Brock Lesnar. And Taz calls it. Brock bottom. Brock bottom. (laughs) Brilliant. The Rock kicks out. Cole here. Really strange quote. Who will gain important momentum as this match drags along? Yeah, cheers. <laughs> Drags? Yeah. At what point was this dragging? Yeah. For, for him, maybe. <laughs> He's been sat at the commentary table all night and he really yeah. needs a piss. Yeah. Come on, guys, hurry up. <laughs> Spinebuster Van der Rock. But before he can hit the people's elbow, Lesnar clotheslines him out of his boots. Yeah. He goes for the F5, but Rock lands on his feet. Goes to the Rock button, but Brock keeps blocking and eventually hits the F5. And that gets the free count to win Lesnar his first championship at 15 minutes and 50 seconds. Wow. Just to start off, Heyman is absolute gold and always will be. Yeah. Just what a guy. I really enjoyed the match. At no point did it drag Michael Cole. <laughs> um, <laughs> There was a botch that I noticed with the leg drag, but in the grand scheme of things, we'll let that fly. Yeah, Brock's got a really funny bump for it. Yeah. Really. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. This is the Brock that I like. This new Brock that we have, I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. He just kind of just comes in, does his job and goals, which frustrates the hell out of me. Mm. Yeah, this is the Brock that actually wanted to be there, wanted to work, and got the job done. Rocky, true professional, passing the belt over. And yeah, it was it was a solid main event. You know, it was really good. Another great match. I love how Rock learned to take advantage of Heyman interfering all the time. Yeah. And then just eliminated him totally from the match to focus on Brock. And also the way he was getting riled by the mixed reaction from the audience. His facials were all brilliant. This whole run with Brock, I mean, is genius. He ran all the way through the card and he still looked like an absolute monster going into this match. Yeah. He's like against this megastar and he's so obviously on the same level here. 
he was so menacing in the run up to this show and all the way during this match. Mm. I, I loved it. Yeah, it's good work all round. Yeah. Great way to close the show. This is a new era upon us from yeah. the looks of it. Yeah, well, the following night, we find out that obviously Brock then defects, doesn't he? Then someone gets a belt. <laughs> yeah. Brock... <laughs> so previously, the Undisputed Champion would work on both of the shows. Yeah. Brock refused, and that led us to having the champion on each show. Yeah. It was good. It was definitely one of those, as they would say in comic book, a jumping on point. It started a new era, if you will. Yeah. You know, the, the roar after built new things, the SmackDown built new things, you know, it was, it kind of skyrocketed. Final thoughts on the show? Probably one of my favourite, if not my favourite SummerSlams. Yeah, really, really enjoyed it. It was nice and refreshing to watch it again. All the way through, really nice. My two matches that I wasn't a fan of was Rick and Jericho and Taker and Test. They were the weak links. Other than that, I thought it flowed Brilliantly, the opening match, fantastic, straight out the gates, with Ray not having his entrance, straight into the ring. I don't really need to say anything about Michaels and Triple H. I mean, you know, just watch it. It's incredible. Obvious match of the night. Yeah, 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 incredible. And then, like we said, it's a new era with, with Brock and Rock. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. It's a great show. One of my favourite pay-per-views of all time. Mm. Michaels and Triple H, Kurt Angle and Rey Mysterio, all-time classics. Brock and Rock and Benoit and RVD, great matches. I really enjoyed Edge and Eddie Guerrero. I really enjoyed the tag title match. And the, the two weak points I agree with you are the, yeah. the Taker and Test and the Flair and Jericho match. But never really made me lose my hype for the oh, show yeah. yeah I wouldn't say there were weak links where it's like oh god you need to skip it and mm. it's just I mean like who, who would ever say that Taker would be in a weak link match but it was just it was the storyline at the time that just didn't fit mm. it was tolerable in the context yeah. of the show yeah I mean like there's some weird kind of pacing things going on here like the opening match being so fast paced made the Jericho and Flair one feel longer because it had less going on. It was like you have been hit by a bus. Yeah. Well, as soon as you got to Flair and Jericho. It was yeah. Weird. The IC title match was like the first one that was significantly longer than any of the others so that made that feel kind of long. Yeah. And then on the other side of things the main event felt really short because it was next to this big monstrous epic. Yeah. So that's the only real issue that this show has for me. It's not enough to really affect what was a really excellent night of wrestling. I want to talk a little bit about the elephant in the room here. With Stone Cold Steve Austin walking out in June, can you see a spot for him on this show? No. The only possibility I could come up with is maybe he'd wrestle Jericho instead of Flair. Even then, it's playing into his point about what what his grievances were with his career at the time. Yeah, he's just another cog in the machine. You know, he'd been second match on Steve Austin, second match on at the SummerSlam. Yeah, his neck was fucked. 
he shouldn't really be taking bumps. Yeah. And he's just going to be just another guy. It's obviously it's not worth it for him. So. Yeah. I think with all that, I think he did it the, the wrong way. And I, he's admitted that, hasn't he? You yeah. Know? You know, if he'd have maybe had the conversation with Vince or, like JR said, you know, had a sit down with JR, maybe things would have been a little different. But, uh, you know, to just walk out of the company the way that he did, I think he just left a bad taste in him. Yeah, if he was truthful about his issues instead of, you know, having to live up to this toxic masculinity, like, oh, God damn, kid, I'm stone cold. Yeah. I ain't supposed to get hurt. Yeah. Then things could have worked out. But yeah, it's just to think about the time back then, whenever there was an absence, it felt like they coped really well. Like like Hulk Hogan's not on this pay-per-view. It's yeah. like, yeah, this is fine. This this show can exist without Hulk Hogan. Yeah. I'd say that they may, may have lost that going forward now. Because, I don't know, for me, like say losing Roman or, or losing Seth to injury or whatever, I feel like you would miss them on a pay-per-view. Mm. You know, the, the roster today is stacked with talent, like complete and utter talent, but I still feel like you would miss someone. Whereas back then, I don't know, I, d- I think that the storylines were so on point that you didn't feel like you was missing someone. I think the storylines today are so itty-bitty and, and only just kind of stuck together Yeah. that you kind of think, well, really, you could fit X, Y, Z on there, or you know. I think that's the, that's kind of the big issue. The storylines back then seemed to be quite streamlined and very on point. Oh, you just mentioned standout performer Shawn Michaels all the way for me. I'm assuming you're going with you know who. Yeah, well, mine's just a little bit added. I mean, that's obviously the best match of the night. Shawn Michaels for me, is the star of the night as well. However, just a a special shout-out to Triple H. (laughs) Only because of, you know, the things that we've learned afterwards of, you know, the protection and all that sort of stuff, him helping him. So, 100% agree, Shawn Michaels, the star of the night. Triple H, vice star of the night. (laughs) And that match, just incredible. Unbelievable. Those were the days. Those were the days. Yeah. But wrap it up for this episode. So you can. <laughs> <laughs> you can. Uh, what do we do again? <laughs> if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, why not hit the subscribe button and give us a five star review? Really help us up the algorithm. You can also listen to our show on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. And there's also a playlist of all of our episodes so far on our SoundCloud page, as well as a playlist of all of my guest appearances on the Rory's Nitro podcast. We're heading really into the fast lane of wrapping up our TNA versus Raw Monday Night War storyline here. Only one more episode to go. We're going to have some really interesting stuff to bookend that, which you'll hopefully hear some details of as we get that episode prepared. Follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast or on Instagram at TNW underscore podcast. Give us a like on Facebook and then you're all set to follow the comings and goings that we have on our show. Next time... What are we doing next time? Hopefully, if it works out, we're going to have a look at this year's SummerSlam. Yeah. But we're going to try and tweak the format a little bit. Mm. But we'll see. 
That's definitely the plan. Summer Slam's the plan. Yeah. So, it's a goodbye from Kyle. Goodbye, thank you for listening. And it's a goodbye from me. I'll catch you down the road. I've been banned from doing Stone Cold impressions at home, so this is my <laughs> <Okay>. safe <laughs>